world that is forever changing. Who are you? Culture is constantly shifting around us, and there are so many voices that are trying to mold and shape us into something we are not. We put on mask after mask after mask, attempting to fit in, all while shutting out who we were created to be. How do we define ourselves in a culture that defies definition? How do we stand strong in who God has created us to be while loving people well? How do we take back our true identity? morning. I was going to say, if we haven't met, my name's Paul, and I'm made in the image of God, and it's cool to be here with a bunch of image bearers this morning. I also want to welcome anybody joining us online. Glad that we can provide that for you. If this is your first time here at Faith E Church, a special warm welcome to you. As Joe mentioned earlier, we're starting a new sermon series, and there were some pretty good questions if you caught those in the video, weren't they? There were some pretty good questions, including that last one. How do we take back our true identity? I think it's that final question there in the video that really plagues and haunts the culture, the world we live in today, because the world we live in seems to be in a perpetual state of an identity crisis, right? I mean, it's led to to kind of a shattered, broken, distorted view of self and of reality. We saw them tearing the picture in the video. Maybe you walked by across the hall from the worship center and saw some different mirrors there. And of course, this identity crisis has led to all kinds of moral problems that we're facing in our world. doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around and figure that one out either, right? We could talk all day, all week. We could talk for a long time about all the moral problems that we're facing. And we should. We need to We need to address those. We need to talk about them. But first, we must understand that there's a deeper issue that's taking place. There's a deeper root to the problem, and really what we're seeing is the fruit of that root. We live in a cultural moment. That's kind of unique. We find ourselves in this place, this time of history that is kind of unique because the world we live in has lost the definition of what it means to be human. You see, this identity crisis really has caused a shift in the world's understanding in what it means to be a human being. And so naturally, that's led to all kinds of other issues. This this shift is massive, and it's hit culture like a tidal wave for the last several years, and that's what we're really dealing with. I just want to give a shout out to Colson Fellows, the teachers there, for helping bring this issue to light. Because the definition of what it means to be a human, at least in the world's eyes, is no longer really based on reality. That's why it's shifting. It seems to be fluid. It seems to be all over the place. It's also no surprise that our kinsmen across the Atlantic Ocean, the Brits, did a a survey in 2019 and found that 9 out of 10 young people, 9 out of 10, 90%, indicated, this is the ages of 16 to 29, indicated that they feel their lives have no purpose. This is sad. This is sad. You know, I thought this was interesting too. The number one music 
searched for word on Spotify among Gen Z, guess which word it is? It's the word sad. It's pretty sad when you disconnect the meaning of what it means to be human from our Creator. Sad is what you get. It's no wonder why more and more people are asking questions like, what am I here for? What is all this about? Is there purpose? Who am I? What's it mean to be human? Those are really good questions. Considering the culture that we live in has lost the very definition and understanding of what it means to be human. So then the question we're presented with as Christians, as the church, is how do we respond? What do we do with this? I mean, there's lots of options. We can... We can kind of conform to the societal pressure, to the culture around us. We can do that. We know we're not supposed to do that. We just looked at Romans 12. We're supposed to be living sacrifices, non-conforming living sacrifices. As the church, we can, we can kind of run and hide, pretend it's not happening, hope that somebody else deals with the problem. We can bury our head in the sand. We can, we can chill out in a holy huddle and just ignore the rest of the world around us. That sounds pretty good sometimes, doesn't it? Or, or we can recognize that as Christians, as the church, the big C church, we can recognize that in this cultural moment, we've been placed here for such a time as this. We can recognize that the very name evangelical means people of the good news. We have the good news. You see, it's the gospel that sets men free. It's the gospel that brings hope, purpose, meaning, and a reason for living to people's lives. God's word answers the very deepest questions of why are we here, what's my purpose, and what's it mean to be human? So to answer that, like John talked about during the worship time, we've got to go back to the beginning. We've got to go back to Genesis 1. Because there we're going to find the definition of what it means to be human and that we're made in the image of God, and that's a big deal. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1. Easiest place in the Bible to find, right? We won't read the whole chapter today. We're going to focus on verses 26 to 31. We'll do kind of a high flyover of the entire chapter, but I want to really focus on those, those verses. So if you would, follow along with me as I read this passage. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They'll be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw, it all, saw all that he'd made, and it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Lord, thanks that you are creator. Thanks for your grace. We come here today, your people, desperate 
to hear a word from you. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through God's holy word, through your holy word. Jesus, we love you. Thanks for the grace of the cross. Thanks for your blood. Thanks for redeeming us image bearers. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now before I jump in and really start looking at these verses with you, I want to talk about how the world really, in my estimation, has arrived at what it means to be human, how they define and get to that definition of what it means to be human. And I think T.S. Eliot really helps with this because he talks about how when you see something that's created, and I think we have a pretty good idea that we're created, we see that in Genesis, we'll talk more about that, but T.S. Eliot says when you look at something that's created, there's two questions you ask, and they need to be asked in the right order. The first question that you ask is, what is that for? That's the first question. And then a lot of times the next question you ask is, well, how do I use it? And if you're like me, most of us guys, well, we skip right over the manual, don't we? Sometimes, anyway. We don't want to skip over the manual on this one. You know, an illustration that came to my mind, it's kind of a different one, but it's, uh, it's something that I want to use for this point. My family and I, several years ago, went to the Franklin Institute. I don't know if anybody's been there. It's in Philadelphia. I've always been just kind of fascinated by Benjamin Franklin. The guy was brilliant. All kinds of inventions, crazy stuff. I mean, you know, some of the more popular ones are the bifocals, the lightning rod, right? Ben Franklin did that one. We know that. But there was something in the corner of the Institute that kind of caught my eye. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of unique anyway, so I went over there and checked it out. And I was intrigued. I was fascinated by it. I spent probably about a 20 minutes looking at this, this item that he created. And maybe you've seen this before, but I'm guessing a lot of you haven't. And here's a picture of it. And when you see that, if you have no idea what that is, the first question you ask is, what's that for? What on earth is that for? Now, you could skip that question and go right to, well, how do you use it? Maybe you turn it upside down and use it as a Frisbee and toss it around. Well, that wouldn't work very well because it's pretty heavy. You might think, well, maybe it's like a, 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 something for a carnival game where you bounce ping pong balls into it, and that sounds kind of fun, but that's not what it's created for. You see, Ben Franklin, he likes soup. He loves soup. And he also spent a lot of time on a ship going across the Atlantic Ocean. That's a soup bowl. Why? Because the soup goes in the middle, and he would find that sometimes the soup would spill on his lap. So in order to keep that from happening and keep his trousers clean, he put a bunch of little soup bowls around the big soup bowl. I'm brilliant. And now we're all like, ah, I get it. That's what that's for. That's how you use it. Culture's got that twisted. They're starting so much in our world we live in. Starts with the question of, how can I use it? How can we use these bodies, these lives, right? And then that determines what we're created for. Do you see the twist? You see, you see what I'm talking about here? Because when you start with, well, how can I use it? There's lots of ways we can use our bodies, our lives. We have the capacity to do a lot of good things, but all kinds of evil things as well. And so when you start with that second question, of course the definition of what it be, means to be human is going to be fluid, going to change. It's going to be erroneous more often than not. That's really what's happening with this identity crisis that we're in. And so we need to go back and look at these verses. And as we do, we're really going to see that what it means to be human is defined 
with three Ds, and a 3D way of looking at what it means to be humans. So I'm going to ask everybody right now, before we begin to dig into this text, would you take out your 3D glasses and just kind of put them on right now? Come on, you just have some fun. Pretend you're putting on 3D glasses. Whew. Okay. A lot of you guys aren't very imaginative. That's okay. <laughs> but we serve a Heavenly Father. We serve a God who has a great imagination. He's very creative. Like we looked, about, looked at earlier in the service, the first five words in the Bible are, in the beginning, God created. The first attribute we see about God is that He's a creator. He is creative, right? And then we see how He created the entire cosmos. In the beginning of each day, from verses 3 through 25, we see the words, and God said, and God said, and God said. Each day in the beginning, and God said. And by the way, I have no reason to believe that a day is no different in the Bible than a 24-hour day today. In six days, God created the universe, and he did it how? By his word. He said it. He spoke it. It happened. You know what that's called? powerful. The attributes we first learn about God is He's creator, He's all-powerful, He has complete authority, He's omniscient, He's sovereign, He's in control. Be encouraged by that. And then it's on the sixth day. After God spoke animals into existence, said to let the earth spring forth and teem with living things, it's after that something else takes place. And we get to the verses today, and verse 26 begins with the words, then, the word then, God said. There's something different about to happen. And God said, and God said, and God said, 26, then God said. That may seem like a subtle shift from and to then, but this is an oratory culture. We must remember that. The word would have been spoken more often than not, and many times from memory. Like Brett Christensen about a month ago spoke the word from 1 Peter, a, lot, a big chunk of it from memory. So when they're hearing this rhythm, this pattern of, and God said, and God said, and by the way, it was written that way so that they could help understand what was happening. And then you get to this part, this verse 26, then God said something different is going to happen. The apex of his creation is about to take place. Because then, continuing in verse 26, we see this. Then God said, let us make mankind. Clearly, something different is taking place. First, we see the word then, and then we get to the word us. Here we have our triune God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, have a conversation in the context of the triune Godhead. It's having a conversation, and I can, I can just picture this taking place in, in front of the heavenly throne room, surrounded by the heavenly host of angels. You see, there's something else we learn about God here, His attribute, and this is where we begin to see He, he is very personal, He's relational. God is relationship, and that's how He creates men, mankind. Because then He says, let us make mankind, how? In our image, in our likeness. God looks at all that He's made, all of creation up to this point. It's good. 
Ain't very good quite yet, but good. It's not very good quite yet because he sees nothing that bears his image, nothing with his likeness. And so in verse 27, what's he do? God created mankind. In his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. If we were doing observations on these verses, and maybe you did, but you'd see two words used three times in verse 26 and 27. And it's the words created and image. Our God as creator creates mankind in his image. And I just want to take another moment and pause on that. You're made in the image of God. I'm made in the image of God. By definition, all people bear His image. All humans bear the image of God. Imago Dei, like Joe mentioned. Latin. Kind of rolls off the tongue, kind of fun to say, Imago Dei. Let's all say Imago Dei. Imago Dei. Imago Dei. If we want to begin to address the cultural issues that are happening around us, we've got to go back to Imago Dei that we're made in the image of God. To define really the beginning of definition, where we need to go regarding what it means to be human, it's back to Imago Dei, made in the image of God. As humans, that's where our self-value comes from. He is the source, the fact that we are made in the image of God. <laughs> That's the source of our dignity. So if you got those 3D glasses on still, take a look at your worship guide. The first D, we're coming back to that, is the word dignity. Dignity. Take a moment to write that down if you would. There's a D, there's a blank spot. It's the word dignity. That's how we're made. Because we're image bearers, all people have de dignity by very definition, even the ones you may not always like so much. Maybe even the ones you can't always see, like the baby in utero, the unborn, they have dignity because they're human and they're made in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. The person... <laughs> breathing their final breath in hospice on the, on the hospice table, they have dignity because they're image bearers of the living God. And everybody in between, all people, have dignity as image bearers. That includes people we do see too, right? This, this one can be kind of hard and kind of tough. Like that neighbor across the street, they have a sign in the yard, and everything about that sign you disagree with, right? If you don't have to agree with everything they think, but they're image bearers. Mm -hmm. how, about, how about those social media posts? Well, those aren't image-bearing posts, right? But the person posting them, that's an image bearer. Remember that when you respond. That football player on the other team, you hope he gets hurt so your team wins. Just remember you're hoping an image bearer gets hurt, just saying. The, the, the people, the, the men, the women, 
that we view online, that people may view online, they're image bearers. They're image bearers. When, when being human, when the definition of being human is disconnected from the fact that we're made in the image of God, dignity goes pretty quick. And when you disconnect dignity from being human, the human race is capable of doing all kinds of things, right? We've seen that throughout history. Absolutely. Justice never happens in a world apart from Imago Dei, made in the image of God and dignity. Without God's word, apart from Christianity, life is valued as much as those who are in power choose to value it. But on the flip side, Christianity, God's word, being made in the image of God, has ushered in all kinds of reformation. You talk about the root bearing good fruit made in the image of God, right? I mean, our our Declaration of Independence says this, all men are created equal, bestowed, endowed by our Creator. And when you see the word equal, clearly we don't all look the same. All y'all can't fish as good as me, right? And I can't do things you can do. But, so where does that equality come from? The fact that we're image bearers. We're made in the image of God. You think about the two largest social relief programs on planet Earth right now is the Catholic Relief Services and World Vision. Born out of Christian, Christianity, God's Word, seeing people, the hungry, the the oppressed, seeing them, that they have dignity, image bearers. That's what makes sex trafficking so stinking disgusting. Anybody seen the, the movie Sound of Freedom? Still gets me a little riled up. I walked out of that movie and I was sad, I was broken, I was hurting. And to be honest with you, there was part of me that wanted to be like William Wallace and go pick a fight. Because the kids in sex trafficking, they're children of God, they bear his image, we should be upset by that. I'm camping on this for a while because we got to leave with this one. we got to leave with this one. So uh, what I want you to do is, we, we talked about this, but at the bottom of our name badges, we see made in the image of God. I want you to just look around at the people next to you. Yep. <laughs> look, at, look, look at them. In front of you. You don't have to make eye contact. It might be weird, but you can. I don't care. But look around. All the people in here, every single person is made in the image of God. Leave with one thing, leave with that. Every single person. I know we'll talk, we'll see this come up a few other times as we work through the rest of this message, but the next question that I really want to wrestle with a little bit is, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does that mean to bear His likeness? And these are great questions. These are questions theologians and scholars have, have wrestled with for centuries now. I mean, really, there's been hundreds of books written about Imago Dei made in the image of God. And some of those publications, when you read them, when you hear them, you hear things like, well, people bear God's image because we have a conscience. We have a will. We have a free will. The ability to think, to reason. We don't exist, but we wonder, why do we exist? And sure, these are could be some attributes of God, but I think there's a simpler way of thinking about this image-bearing component and how we are made, and it's this. We are image-bearers 
Two, get ready for this. Reflect God's image. I like things simple. I like keeping it simple. That's just how I am. But to be an image bearer, we reflect God's image. I like what N.T. Wright had to say about this because he talked about us being angled mirrors. You know, like your rearview mirror in your car, you look, you look at it and you can see the, car, the cars in the, in the rear view behind you. And sometimes if they get too close, they might even be able to see your face. You know what I'm talking about? You see, we're really called to be like angled mirrors. To reflect God's glory to his creation and then in turn give him glory. Do you see? That's what an image bearer does, reflects his glory and in turn gives him glory. The, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, and you might be familiar with this. What is the chief end of man? So that, it's really kind of a question we're, we're dealing with, right? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Reflect God's glory and give him glory. That's what we're made for. It's kind of the answer to the, the first question we need to ask. You know, another way to think about being an image bearer is that we are to be kind of like replicas, models. That seems obvious, reflecting the one who created us. That word image in Hebrew is salim. And it actually gave a picture of, of, of a statue. A statue representing somebody. Now, as I thought personally about a statue, um, I already mentioned Philly once. I immediately went to uh, the Rocky statue. Yeah, I hear some laughs. <laughs> that used to be, before 2006, at the top of the museum steps in Philadelphia. Has anybody by chance ran up those steps and got next to the Rocky statue? Oh, my. Well, few of us privileged people. I have. And let me tell you what. When, I'm running, when I was running up those steps, this was quite a few years ago, but I'm running up those steps, and in my mind, I'm hearing the Rocky theme. Do it with me. Yes, do it with me. da 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 Okay, all right, you're getting there. And then I get to this top of the steps, and how does that kind of end? <sighs> Da-da-da, he arrived! I pumped my fists in the air next to that Rocky statue, and I'll tell you what, I was Rocky Balboa. I just defeated the Russian. All right, the Rocky statue wasn't in the Mesopotamian culture. They didn't have that back then in the ancient world. But here's how kings would use statues. They would send a representative out into the countryside, right? And that representative would often be sent with a statue of the king to represent the king. You see, we're really supposed to be like little statues as humans representing our king. Now, clearly, there's been some marring of the image, little distortion, check out the mirrors when you leave, a little brokenness, right? We'll talk about that next week. Make sure you come back. We'll talk about the fall and what happened. And you know, but there's a lot to it. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to represent the King who we follow. Our choices matter. What we do with our money, our time, our lives represents the one we follow. If somebody looked at your checkbook, your calendar, what would they see? Somebody looked at what you look at. How you spend your time, what would they see? Would they see the king? Because we're called to reflect him to the world around us as lights. And there's something else that I want to talk about before we leave this whole area of dignity. 
Because when we live like Jesus did and practice his ways, representing the king, that's a dignified way of living. And there in verse 27, we also see this statement. Male and female, he created them. Nothing else. Male and female. That's it. But along with that, we must understand, I don't think it's a mistake. It's written this way. God said it this way, male and female, because also that's equal dignity. Sure, that's been twisted over the years, over the centuries, but men and women are made with equal dignity. Why? Because we're image bearers called to reflect God's glory. You see, not only are we called to reflect His glory as men and women, we are called to rule over His creation as co-rulers. That's where we get in verse 28. That's where we go next. God tells them, men and women, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. Fill, subdue, and rule. If we went back to the beginning, Genesis 1-2, we would see that God saw the earth and it was formless. What did He do? He formed it and He filled it. We're called to carry on the work our Creator already started. Fill, form, subdue. Some would call that the creation mandate. You may have heard that. Today I'm calling it our duty. Our duty. That's the next D with your 3D glasses on. Human beings have dignity and we have been given a duty. A duty. And I can go lots of different places with this verse. Oh yeah, for sure. But I really want to focus on the two words rule over. Because not only do we see that here in verse 28, it's in verse 26. Rule over. The big R ruler has assigned us little R rulers to watch over his creation. Think about that. Yes, we love people. That's obviously, we'll talk back about that. We'll come back to that. But we're also called to, to love his creation. Not the same as people, but, but to take care of his creation. To t- we should care about plants and animals, the environment. Now, I know this can be a little bit of a touchy subject, but let's just, let's just admit one thing. There needs to be balance here, right? We should have some balance. And, and maybe I'm a little biased, but I think, I think overall, holistically speaking, us Montanans have a pretty good handle on this. Like, like for example, I consider myself a conservationist. I, I love looking out and seeing God's beauty in this state, the mountains, the rivers, all that he's made, we call it big sky for a reason. We can see the stars, right? And I want to do my best to, to preserve it. When I go leave a campground, I want to leave it better than I found it. I don't throw my garbage just on the side of the trail when I hike. I don't consume just to consume. I try not to. I try not to destroy things for fun. Kill God's creation for fun. But I think you all know this at the same time. I'm a hunter. I'm a fisherman. It's September. I'm kind of excited. Right? There's balance here. I, you know, I, I, I went out to the Yellowstone River several times this past summer to do some fishing, and each time I walked along the bank, you know what I found? I found rocks stuck together from the asphalt spill. You may remember it when the train was derailed. Reed Point? I don't remember. Somewhere in that vicinity. 
And I see that, I saw that asphalt, did my best to try to help clean up, do a little bit, and, and each time I saw that, I was disappointed, I was kind of bummed, thinking, ah, that's in the river, that's on the side. But then more importantly, I was thankful that no lives, no human lives were lost in the train derailment. And I'm also thankful for asphalt, I am, I know that sounds weird, but that's how I drove, I drove on that to get to my fishing spot. This is complex, isn't it? Every day we should be praying for discernment and wisdom from our Heavenly Father as we approach these types of issues. We need it. I think a good way to look at this whole area of, of, of having duty over God's and ruling over God's creation is to think of it as being a steward. We're stewarding over something that's not ours. We're doing it and stewarding over it, not for ourselves, not for Mother Nature, but for God because it's His creation. It's kind of, anybody ever, you ever watch how sit some, uh, somebody's place when they went on vacation? Anybody ever done that or maybe had your house watched? Like dog watching, anybody ever done that? Yeah, you're stewarding over somebody's place. And, and, and while you watch over their home, you don't leave the fridge door open, the, the freezer open, and let all the food rot. You don't knock down the walls, tear up the floors. You don't take the dogs out back and shoot them in the head and leave them dead there for the owner, right? I hope not anyway. When they got home, this would not be a good thing. Such is our call, our duty to watch over creation, to steward it well for the big R ruler. But there's only one living being in creation that bears his image, and it's human beings. That means we are more important than the animals and the plants. Balance, wisdom, discernment. You know, we're going to be starting a sermon series. We're working through the book of Jonah after, after this sermon series. We're going to go verse by verse. And we're going to see a prophet who had this kind of twisted. Jonah did. He loved a plant. He loved it a lot. And he really didn't seem to care about 120,000 souls, 120,000 image bearers called the Ninevites, and he got rebuked by God. See, people are more important than animals. You don't go around just killing people like you would a mosquito. By the way, kill as many mosquitoes as you can. They're bad. But Genesis 9-6 says this, Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. We are image bearers. We have great worth, value, and dignity to our God. You see, Jesus, he didn't die for a plant. He didn't die so all dogs could go to heaven. I really hope there's going to be a lot of dogs in heaven. And by the way, all dogs go into heaven. That was a great cartoon. I used to watch it a ton with my son. If you've never seen it, I'd recommend it. Anyway, sorry, I digress. But Jesus died for image bearers. I truly believe if there was no image bearers, if we don't go back here to Genesis, there'd be no gospel. There would be no salvation account because he came to die for image bearers, humans, broken, marred, image by sin. He came to save men's souls. John 3, 16, For God so loved, he sent his one and only son, Jesus. For God so loved. For God so loved. We see that statement really resonate even in what we're studying today back in the Genesis account, for God so loved. We see it in really how he created human beings because it's, it's different. Genesis 2.7 says, 
The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of light and life, and the man became a living being. Instead of speaking us into existence, he forms us from the ground, the dust, and he breathes life into our nostrils. Very intimate, very personal, relational, a very loving way. You know, our, our mankind's existence begins face-to-face with God. And you know how it's going to end when Jesus comes back and restores all things to himself. For all of those of us who follow Jesus, it's going to end that way when he restores all things face-to-face with God once again. That's hope. That's a good thing. But you see, until then, every human being has got something inside of us. Whether people want to admit it or not, that's fine. But there's something inside of every single person that makes them wonder and wish for something more outside of themselves, something that they can't see in creation. Blaise Pascal, maybe you've heard of this, calls this a God-shaped vacuum that's inside of every person. It's how we're built. And nothing's going to fill it in all of creation except our Creator. That's it. And so, this identity crisis, this redefining what it means to be human, so many are trying to fill that hole with all the wrong things, the things of this world. I like what John Stone Street talked about regarding this subject. He, he, He kind of summed it up with five S's. With five S's. And before I get there, what this really means is that we're all wired to be devoted to something. We're going to be devoted to something, and that's the third D with your 3D glasses. That's how we're wired, to be devoted to something. So would you write down devotion there? So we have a world that's trying to get devoted to all the wrong things. Like I said, John Stone Street kind of sums this up with five S's. Self, sex, science, state, and stuff. I thought that was a pretty good summary of what's happening in culture, this identity crisis, right? When we're not devoted to God, we see people being devoted to self. Look inside yourself, and and, and, then you'll find what it means to be human. Let your sexual impulses define who you are. Allow the state to tell you who you are and define creation. (laughs) Science, let science speak. Well, science can't speak. Only one spoke creation into existence and made science. Finally, stuff. And this one, ooh, we can, we can look at those others, right? But stuff, this one's in every one of our American faces, isn't it? Sometimes we define ourselves, what it means to be human, by the stuff we got. No surprise, we got what's going on in culture. You see, what we're devoted to, I'm going to say this, what we're devoted to, we worship. What we worship, we become. You with me? Yeah. What we worship, we become. And you can see how well it goes when we worship all the things of this world. Dignity and duty will never be found when our devotion is rooted in created things. Dignity and duty will only be found when we're devoted fully and rooted in God, the Creator. 
The more we understand that and allow that truth to transform us, the more we'll live in gratitude in a form of worship and devotion to our great God. There's a statement I read that kind of bugged me by St. Augustine. Perhaps you've heard this statement. It it kind of irritated me at first. and, and, And Augustine said this, Love God, do what you want. I was like, what? Come on. Augustine, really? Love God, do what you want, but think about it. When we love the Lord our God, the first commandment with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, naturally we're going to want to do what He wants us to do. When we love God completely, it's going to transform how we live. It's going to transform how we love and how we see other people too, right? As image bearers. Created by the one we love. Going to be a lot less immediate conflict because we're going we're gonna to first see them as an image bearer and Jesus says pray for them. The people that maybe live across the street, we'll treat them differently because we recognize that they're image bearers. The oppressed, the hungry, the needy, image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. We'll love them because they are made in the image of the one we love and worship and are devoted to. You see, here it is. Christianity isn't about following a bunch of rules. It's about following the capital R ruler. Christianity isn't about following, it's not just about following a set of rules. It's following a king who died on the cross and rose from the dead. And his name is Jesus. And the more we follow him, the more we're going to fall in love with him. And when we fall in love with him, oh, the more we do, the more we experience God's overwhelming, unending love in our life. That's what gives us hope, purpose, meaning. That's where it's found. Because that's what it means to be human. Made in the image of God. And then at the end of the account, what does God say? He looks down and he sees his image bearers and he says for the first time, it is very good. Very good. Let's close our eyes. Let's put a little bit of this in practice right now. With your eyes closed, I'd like to ask you to picture that person And let's face it, we all probably have at least one, if not several, that person you can't stand. I'd say not somebody on TV or personality, but somebody in your life that you see with your eyes and you just want to avoid them at every cost because it seems like they're opposite of everything you do, you stand for, and you believe. It's not about becoming like them. But put put their their picture of their face in your mind right now, if you would, please. Could be somebody at work, a family member, school, college, somebody at church. Who knows? But to get a picture of their face in your brain, and you got it? You don't have to answer, but have a picture of them in your, in your mind. Maybe they're sitting there looking kind of smugly at you. And now before you start mumbling things under your breath... I'd like you to do something quietly on your own, in your mind. Look at that person you've got there 
and say, image bearer. Do it again. The person, you have a picture of their face in your brain. Say that again, quietly on your own. Image bearer. Image bearer. Because that's who they are. That's how God created humans long before you couldn't stand them. You know, sometimes I think it helps to say it out loud. I, 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 I sometimes have to. So let's say image bearer three times together out loud. Image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. And now with your eyes still shut, your heads bowed, pray for that image bearer who you're thinking about. Jesus thinks that you died for image bearers. While we were still sinners, while we were broken, while we were really enemies of God, you died for us. Thank you. We need help, Holy Spirit, to see others the way you see people that were made in your image. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.